I've got some uh, exciting news, and I thought we would uh, have some people uh, up here to help explain this. Uh, if you were a part of a series we did a while back called Wells, in there rattled out a, a big list of, of cities and towns and stuff, places. And, and if you don't know this as a church, a heart is that not only the Black Hills, you and I would know who Jesus is, but that we think Jesus loves people outside the Black Hills. I know some of you, it's hard for you to believe that. But, um, and so you, there's a list of all these different cities and towns and places that, that God laid on multiple people's hearts that we ought to put, well, basically a representation of Jesus there. A, a way that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, could somehow be put there in a way that was effective and good and, and healthy. And so uh, this is Steve and Katie. Uh, before that series even launched, uh, God was already pressing on their hearts. And, and actually, I think I'd call it moving their hearts to a place called uh, Salt Lake City. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. Uh, it's also uh, a unique environment. Uh, your minds immediately already go to a place. I already know where it is when they talk about Salt Lake City and even church. Well, the short of it is, is God asked, God asked them to go put the gospel there, a church, a church that would show people who Jesus is. Now, uh, Steve's preaching in, I think, three weeks, right? Three-ish, three, three-ish weeks. And I'm, my guess is uh, more details will leak its way into that sermon. So, so uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the detail because I'll, I'll let him share that when he preaches in a few weeks. Here's what I thought we ought to do because they're relocating in... Uh, August. I thought we as a church ought to pray for them. Uh, it's a big deal to take your family and move it to a place that, although it's unfamiliar, your hearts are there now, but it's unfamiliar. There's a lot of challenges. In fact, you'll see that there's even a, a website and everything there. If, you, if you're like, I can't wait for three weeks for Steve to tell me more. Well, you can go to the website. You can learn more. You could even start, actually, if you wanted to, give a donation to the church and actually help them get funding even more. The church is a part of that, but you can be a part of that too. That's there. But what I wanted to do, because I'm about to talk about prayer, I thought we could pray for them. So here's what I'm going to ask, and some of you might find this awkward, most of you won't. I'm going to ask that you would stand if you're able to stand. Uh, right now, like stand right now. Some of you are like, when, when, wherever you are, I want you to stand. Even if you're online right now, stand up. And just in honor of a conversation with God, uh, I'd like on behalf of the church just to pray for them as they go into this endeavor. Uh, so if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just pray for them. God, uh, with, without doubt, without reservation, we see your anointing and your calling on Steve and Katie. God, we know that you uh, have a lot of plans, that even more, a lot of people in Salt Lake City that need to know who you are, need to know the real you. So Lord, I ask that you would anoint these two and anyone that moves with them and that they meet there. God, would you anoint them in a way that the gospel, who you are, is able to be communicated in a way that glorifies you. Would you protect their family as they go Lord, would you provide every financial thing they need? Would you provide them a home to live in? Would you provide them even friends to connect to? But God, most importantly, would you guide them, sustain them, give them wisdom, give them discernment, give them strength, give them supply as they do what you've asked them. 
Lord, fight off anything that evil has in store. Guard them against anything that is even awaiting them or even that is chasing them right now. Lord, I pray that you will protect them in a supernatural way. And Lord, may your favor lead the way for the rest of their lives as they do what you want done as you want it done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you guys. All right. Yeah. So if you want to know more, website about that, or actually just uh, find them, or wait for a few weeks, and he'll preach, and you'll get to hear a whole bunch of stuff. So let's go into this. I think, uh, be, I don't want this projected on you, I, I'm in this. I'm not confident that you and I have an accurate understanding of even just what we did. We just prayed for two people. You may not know them. Maybe you do. And I know in church you're like, well, that's what we do. We, we pray for people. Or at least we tell them we're going to pray for them, right? And we pray. And pray, praying, that's a part of Christianity. It's a part of religion. It's a part of a lot of stuff. I'm not confident that you and I fully get our minds and hearts around it. So we're going to do something risky. And you won't know fully how risky it is unless you come to both weeks of this series. This, this first weekend, I want us to go after something that I would call very simple, but very profound. So if you, if you would, some of you are like, oh, I know everything about prayer, David, actually, everything. I'm amazing. It's great. I'm happy for you. But I want you to have an open heart. If, if what you understand about prayer, your current approach to prayer, I would like for you to be willing to set it on a table mentally and say, okay, maybe God has something in addition to teach me. Maybe I've got a misunderstanding or misperception. And so, let's go after something. Uh, this is written in the Bible, and I think it helps us get there. Devote yourselves to prayer. Duh. I mean, nothing profound yet. Or maybe there was. Being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. If you've ever heard someone say, God, give, open a door for me. And you're like, where did that come from? Probably there. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. There's really one primary word that I want to go after with all those words. That word. This is the word that I think we have some confusion about. Because I don't know if, I've been told stories about prayer. I don't know if you have. I grew up, I'm a fourth generation pastor in a row. I've been told multiple stories. I went to seminary, all that stuff. And oh, I heard the stories about people who had prayer closets. And you could go into that prayer closet and literally on the floor, they had worn the wood in because they prayed so much, so long. And I hear stories like that of them praying three to four hours a day. I just read a book about a guy who would often find himself praying all day long in a little closet. I hear that and be like, I'm not even a Christian. I mean, if... If, if, that's what, if that's what devotion is, I'm just going to admit to you right now, I do not pray 24-7 on my knees in a closet all day long. But I hear a story like that that is somewhat compelling, but I don't know if you're like me, you hear the compelling story, but then it like works its way to you feel shame, and you feel like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I wonder if you and I know what it means 
when the Bible says, devote yourself to prayer. Because I think some of us immediately, you know what we do? We put a time limit on it. Because we're Americans. And we are driven and fueled by time. Time's a big deal. we got to be somewhere and then go somewhere. And we want as much time as possible. So when I say devotion, many of us are just like, yeah, that's a long time. And that's what that's all about. I want to tell you a story. And I warn you, uh, it's an interesting story. And it's not from the Bible. 1840s. Don't think any of you were around in the 1840s. Let me tell you a little bit about our country in the 1840s. People were scared out of their minds. I'll explain. In the 1840s, the economy was tanking. Uh, uh, Railroads were going bankrupt. Banks were closing. Factories were closing. In fact, going into the 1850s, there was one particular year that over 5,000 businesses closed. What you and I understand as a recession, they knew what that meant. Every single day they would hear news about how horrible everything was. It was the era, by the way, where racism and slavery were such a hot topic, if you know your history, that many people in the 1840s were wondering, I wonder if we're going to have a civil war. People were freaked out constantly. And then to complicate it, the church was jacking stuff up. I know that's not new because I think they still are at times. I agree with you. In the 1840s, if you don't know, many preachers and and churches said, hey, Jesus is coming back in 1841. 1841 happened. And people began to say, I don't know if I can trust that preacher anymore. They would find another preacher, another church, and that guy would say, 1843, he's coming back. And it wouldn't happen. People began to get disillusioned with the church because the church was constantly saying stuff that was frankly junk. Then we got into the 1850s. Hopefully that's when things turn around. Not really. Recession really kicked in. And in fact, if you were to, in the 1850s, with your mind, zoom in, not on the United States of America, but zoom in New York, even closer to the lower Manhattan. And in lower Manhattan, there was a church there. There were actually many churches, actually many churches that had already closed their doors, locked up, and died, and were done. People were abandoning God and the church like crazy. They were abandoning the city like crazy. It was horrible. One particular church in the 1850s decided, you know what? We would like to not close our doors because everyone else is. Problem is, uh, they didn't have a pastor, (laughs) They needed some sort of a leader, so they went trying to find a, a leader, a pastor. They couldn't even hire a pastor. They couldn't find anybody like trained to be a pastor. But they found a guy who was willing, not trained, but willing. He loved God. Known as Jeremiah Lanfear. So here's what he did. If you don't know what he did on the first part of his job, he spent the first three months going everywhere, telling everyone about the church, inviting people. And I'm talking door to door to door. I know nowadays, like door to door is like, Well, when someone rings your doorbell, you run. You tell everyone to be quiet. You muffle the dog, whatever. I don't know what you do, but everyone's like, shh. Back then, 1850s, 1850s, it was very common. It was appreciated, actually, that if anything was going on, that someone would come to you and actually tell you, hey, this is going on. 
And so that's what this pastor did. He went door to door. He went to businesses. He went to homes. He went to boarding houses. He went all over the place. Hey, I'm a pastor of this church. Would you like to come on? And invited him to Sundays. And he's going all over. And many was like, oh, that's awesome. He tried to get the church, little church, hey, church, we've got to, like, branch out and, and welcome people. And they, they responded with, we're not interested. And he began to invite, 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 and after three months, um, nothing happened. Nothing. In fact, the church was smaller than when he started. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you're defeated. Maybe you've done something that you felt like God led you to do. And nothing happened. So he did his last resort. That's what you and I call last resort. You know what his last resort was? Let's pray. (laughs) That's what you and I often do. Come on, just admit it. That our last resort, after we've exhausted everything that we know to do and how to do it, we're like, well, we ought to pray now. We ought to just let God take over now. And and so he he planned what's called a prayer meeting. You know what a prayer meeting is? It's not complicated. It's where you gather more than yourself (laughs) in a room of some sort. And you pray to God. It's called a prayer meeting. So he made flyers. Think about 1850s. (laughs) He made flyers and distributed them. He even made a sign that said, basically, prayer meeting. Come as you'd like. Between noon and 1 o'clock. Come for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 or 20. Come as you'd like. Made a sign. Invited tons of people. The latter part of September of 1857. The first prayer meeting happened. I think he was excited until noon came and no one showed up. Not one. I mean, I don't know if he had a friend, but come on, at least your friend would show up. No one showed up. He's in this room, third story of a building, 1210 comes by. No, nobody. Maybe they're late. 1220, nobody. 1230, do you give up, right? You're like, uh... Maybe I printed the wrong date. I don't know. He starts to hear someone come up the stairs. I mean, you could hear them coming up the wooden stairs. Someone got there at 1230 to pray. Well, then when you feel this awkward, like, well, if you came late, maybe other people are coming late. So we're going to wait to pray. So they just sat there, probably talking, small talk. Hey, how's the weather doing? And then another person came, and then another. By, the, by near the end of the prayer meeting, with about five to ten minutes to go, six people showed up. Yay! <laughs> they had no time to pray, really, because one o'clock was almost there, and they all needed to go somewhere. So they prayed for like a little bit, and I'm talking just a little bit, and one o'clock hit, and they were respecting people's time, so they said amen, and they said, hey, what do you think we get together again next Wednesday? So they said, okay, we'll get together next Wednesday, and we will pray because it's our last resort. The next week, they say 20 people came. The next week, they say 40 people came. And there was like this, whoa, this this might be something here. In fact, they even resolved when 40 people said, hey, instead instead of like once a week every Wednesday, what if we started getting together and radical idea, what if we prayed every day? We just gathered and prayed every day, noon to one. Okay, they decided to do that. What they did not know is they decided to do that the following week. The following week before they got together, the stock market crashed. And the craziness that everyone had experienced up to that point got even crazier. Everyone got scared to a new level. People were losing their jobs left and right. They were leaving everywhere, and they were freaked out. And when you and I are freaked out, 
we wonder if he'll do something. Within a couple weeks, and I'm not joking, you can check your own history books. Within a couple weeks of the stock market crashing, over 3,000 people started filling that building on a weekly basis. In fact, uh, I know they didn't have iPhones, you know, snap a picture. Uh, but, but you need to know, this is what, like, here's what I love. Over 3,000 people gathering, no, no preaching, heads bowed, praying. Word would catch fire. I mean, when, when churches are dying, when everything's dying, but then the newspaper hears, the newspaper hears, um, so there's this building that, like, it's packed with people. What are they doing? Praying. The newspaper does an article on that. Well, that leaked out all over the place and, in fact, started sparking things in New York City. Uh, by six months from the first meeting, 10,000 people in New York City were gathering to pray, to go to God, to say, God, we just want to devote ourselves to you and just talk to you. Word got out further. This movement began to happen. If you don't know your history, by the way, when I say there were 10,000 in New York City, there were only 800,000 people in the population at that time. So 10,000 is shockingly large. Other cities, large cities, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, started catching fire. Those prayer meetings started happening there, going out to the East Coast. Now historians got involved now that that happened. Because it's kind of crazy. People started showing up to the prayer meetings, ready to like not even know what to do. In fact, I, you, one guy showed up, no joke. He was planning to go there to kill someone and then kill himself. He was so destitute, that's all he needed to do. He was going to go to this place where people were excited, and then they seemed to be content and have peace. And he showed up, and he got saved. He literally showed up, and it, like, what, now what are you guys doing? And by the time he left, he had devoted his life to Jesus Christ. There are more stories where people decided just to follow Jesus. In fact, it began to leak out, leak out, leak out to the point that now historians say that in the six months to two years that this was playing out, over one million people decided to follow Jesus from this revival. If you don't know what a revival is, it is simply when all of a sudden God does something supernatural in people's hearts and it goes well beyond understanding where thousands of people are deciding to follow Jesus. The nerdy information, they say one-thirteenth of all Christians in the United States of America could trace back their Christianity to this moment. I left something out on purpose. When they went from six people praying to 3,000, you know what one of the things you have to do when that happens? You have to make a rule. I mean, that's a lot of people. You don't know these people. And let me tell you the rule that I left out that will help you and I discover what devotion means. Because some of us are like, oh, 3,000 people gathering to pray. I wouldn't know what to pray, Pastor David. Is it crazy? Does it get weird? Are they screaming? Are they yelling? Are they praying these articulate, poetic prayers? Like, how's it going? Here's the rule. You weren't allowed to pray for more than five minutes. It was a rule. Because they wanted to give other people time. So here's what you do. If you don't know how this worked, way back then, you'd hitch your horse to the front of the building. You'd walk in. 
You'd spend five minutes devoting yourself to prayer, and then you needed to leave it was a rule because there were people waiting to get in to devote themselves to prayer. What's your version of devotion? They say now that well over 10 million people are followers of Jesus Christ because six people gathered and God did something with it. And when you and I begin to think about, well, I could never do that. That's too grand. That's too big. You can devote yourself to five minutes talking to God. What? What could God do with a group of people that would say, you know what, I'm not too busy. I don't have too much going on. My life's not too bad to actually assemble and say, let's talk to God for a little bit. Pastor Jeremiah, he knew something. Walking with God involves talking with God. Now, some of you feel like I just brought you to preschool class in the church. I don't think so. I think we just jumped to seminary. Because what I'm seeing is there are many people trying to walk with God without talking to him. I, walking with God's weird, by the way. If you're, if you're, if you're new to the church, like, where are we going? I mean, think about it. I'm never going to come up to you and say, hey, how's your walk with your wife? How's that going? You're going to be like, we haven't walked at all. We don't do that. How's your walk with your kid? We don't, I just, come on. That's, some of us who are really religious, you're, you're getting offended. Don't be offended. Just admit it. It's weird to say, how's your walk with God? What it's talking about, because it's a good term, but you've got to understand the term. It's saying, how's your relationship with God? How is your journey with God? And in this essence that you have a relationship with God, and it's progressing. It's getting healthier. It's getting stronger. It's getting better. And so people started saying, how's your walk with God? So we use the term. Walking with God involves, and you might even say requires, talking with them. If you don't know who you're talking to, I thought I'd point it out. I think this is important. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You, you show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's army. Oh, sovereign, sovereign. When I talk to you, and when we're looking at what the Bible says, but even beyond that, what God wants, when you and I go to God, devote ourselves to prayer, when you and I take a second or five minutes or hours, and we're saying, I was just talking with God, you are talking to the sovereign God. And you need to know what that means. Here's the definition. It's two words actually put together. Supreme and rule. No matter what mood you're in, <laughs> No matter if it's a good or bad day, when you go to God, you're talking to someone who is supreme, better than anyone and everyone, stronger than anyone and everyone. There is no limit to him, and he rules. So when you go, and it's not like, hey, if you're able to, I don't know, um, you know, if you, if you have authority. No, when you talk to God, you're talking to the sovereign God, the sovereign one, the one who is not limited by power is not limited by any authority figure. And when you and I have conversations with the Almighty God, when you and I look at following God, walking with God, and we talk to Him, you're not talking, listen, 
to your last resort. You're not talking to your second best option. You're not talking to someone who maybe cares. You're talking to the sovereign God. But many of us, me included, will have days that we don't go to him first. We go to him last. And that's not a good example of devotion. But Jesus taught us to pray. And it it says it in here. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth. Jesus was trying to help us understand, here's who you're praying to. The one whose will is accomplished in heaven. The sovereign one. The all-powerful one. The best option. That's who we pray to. So when you and I talk to God, when you and I devote ourselves to prayer, if prayer is of any value to you whatsoever, you need to know you are not talking to a weakling. You are talking to someone who can do whatever he wants. And that is the problem. Let's get super, super open right now. Many of you don't don't disagree with me yet. And maybe you've been praying for God's will to be done on earth. But frankly, what God did, his will on earth, you're not happy with. You ever been there? You don't need to raise your hand. You ever been disappointed in what God did or didn't do? You ever found yourself praying to the almighty, sovereign God, just like Pastor David said, just like the Bible lays out. Let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. He's all powerful. He loves me. And then... The answer did not ooze that he loved you. Or frankly, have you ever prayed enough and a long time enough to wonder if he's even hearing you? If you've ever felt like that, allow me to join with you. I've had many, many, many days where I've been incredibly disappointed in God. Just stay there for a minute. Some of you think, what's going on right now? The pastor is saying that he's been disappointed in God. Well, disappointment, I think, is often a part of any healthy relationship. The other person, whoever the other person is in the relationship that you have, If they always do everything that you've ever dreamt of doing and it's all perfect like that, it sounds like you've got a robot. And I find it difficult to rationalize. I don't understand why in the church we don't talk about this very much. Where many of the things that we're going to the almighty sovereign God about, he's not doing exactly what we've asked him to do, which leaves us disappointed. I remember uh, when Katie and I got engaged, uh, I've told you this, I didn't have a job, I was a winner. Uh, I didn't have a job, and, uh, and I remember, I, mean, I, I, I loved God, and, and she loved God, which I thought, all, then what you do is, if you don't have a job, you, you ask God, God, I need a job, and he provides a job. You understand how that works? That's, that's what I, that's what you, you, God, I need a job, I need a job. Month one went by, no job. By the way, I was actually passing out resumes and applying, and Month two, no, no job. 
I'm like, oh, God's going to provide it as a wedding gift. That's what he's going to do. You ever, you ever do that for God? We're like, oh, God, I know what your plan is. I know, I know when you're going to deliver this. This is awesome. And then the wedding day came. I'm like, I'm still unemployed, which is embarrassing to tell everybody at a wedding. Oh, what are you guys doing next? No idea. Month four hit, and our savings was near zero. I'm praying, God, God, would you? And i got to tell you, I was crazy disappointed in God. Do you ever get there where you're like, I'm doing everything you want me to do, and I'm praying, like, I don't know the, I don't know the formula here, God. And he's like, there is no formula. He's radically disappointed. I've, I've prayed for healing for many people and then attended their funerals and been very disappointed. I've sat in funerals. I have done funerals where I've wrestled in that very moment that I'm helping people grieve with great disappointment. God, God, why didn't you heal this person? So I, I, even though I got to talk to you about prayer and you're going, I thought we were talking about prayer and, and you were supposed to encourage us to pray. And it's not going that direction. I think i got to be open with you and, and teach you what I've been taught. I've, I've got a coach in my life that I've met with for a couple years now, if not more. He's been instrumental in teaching me about prayer. And if, here, if you're disappointed in God, you don't have his perspective. Kevin Myers told me that one time, and frankly, when he told me that, I was like, you jerk. If someone tells you this, is that not humbling? You're like, don't tell me that. Problem is with this, uh, it's true. That's the problem with it. If you're disappointed with God, you don't have his perspective. And I'm telling you right now, he has the best perspective. Do you find it fascinating that you and I get disappointed in God when he doesn't heal someone? And let me translate for that. If that person's a follower of Jesus, we get disappointed that he lets them go to heaven early. why it's a perspective issue I'm not saying to be heartless no 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 no. I know it hurts when we lose people I'm just saying that when God doesn't do exactly what you asked and you are disappointed that's okay but just realize you don't have his perspective and I'd like to teach you a little bit about God because I want to show you his perspective it's awesome it's in Romans and we know that in all things, in all things, in all things, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Some of you are questioning this probably right now. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in right now, you're like, good? He's doing good? I don't see the good. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you're in a season right now, where I'm telling you, I'm showing you in the Bible, that I'm trying to help you understand the character of God is that he is good, he is amazing, and that your perspective is not his perspective. And you're like, so what do I do when he's not answering the way I want him to answer? He's not doing what I want him to do, and he's just jacking you up, especially your relationship with him. And you're like, what in the world? Here, here, here. God's goodness is always worth trusting. And let me emphasize this. Trusting means even when you don't see it and feel it, you just trust it. You remind yourself that even though you don't see the good that God is doing, you don't see him working, you think that he's ignoring you or spiting you, and you're like, I don't see the good even though the Bible says he's good. 
then you just have to trust it. Just like you do with other relationships in your life where you're with someone, you're around someone, you're in a relationship with someone, and they're having a bad day where you just have to tell yourself, I'm pretty sure they're a good person. Just doesn't, I don't see it today. Do we not do that with each other? We decide that we know this person is doing things that we don't agree with, and so we're just going to trust that they're good. It's fascinating to me that myself included, that when God does not do exactly what we asked him to do, we immediately begin to second guess his goodness and question it, doubt it. we, We reveal a ton of a lack of loyalty. So if you're currently in a season of prayer, devoting yourself to God, talking to God, crying out to God, and you're like, I'm disappointed. Understand, he's good. You're just going to have to trust and get through the storm. Here's another one. You may not like this one either. Our disappointment doesn't change God's sovereignty. When God doesn't do what you ask and you are radically disappointed, guess what? You and I do not have the authority to change his sovereignty. He's still the supreme ruler of all. And he may not do what you want done, but he's still sovereign, which means he's still worth going to. He's good and he's sovereign. He's good and he's sovereign. That's why we pray. We crave a relationship with him because of that. And I don't know if you're willing to believe that God is good and sovereign, but if you're saying, I still want to devote some conversations to him, I still want to talk to him and wrestle through this, how, how do I begin to pray? And so I, I quickly actually just want to, you, you may have never been taught what prayer can look like and what's healthy and unhealthy. So rather than assume that we all just get this, let me share it with you. There's two facets. Two primary facets. There's the mechanical part to conversations with God. Uh, The structure and the discipline. Some of you, you're eating this up right now. You're like, yeah, I love me some structure. Some of you are hating this. You're like, you're like, that's religion, right? I mean, but but this is a part of it. There's, There's a mechanical part to relationships. On my calendar every week, there's certain things that I'll go on a date with my daughter. I want her to learn how a, how a, how a boy and a man should treat her, so you better believe I'm going to give her high expectations. And it's, it's in my calendar. Not because I want to be dry, but no, I want it to be structured. I want her to expect it. And we do this in all of our relationships. Structure and discipline are not bad. But if that's all that a relationship is, that's dry, and that becomes something that we would know just as religion. So you have to have the other side, too, uh, which is difficult to explain, be, well, because it's mysterious. <laughs> if you want me to fully describe to you the mysterious conversations of what God is doing in your life and how he's talking to you, I can't because it's mysterious. But it reveals some intimacy and passion. Some of you are like, oh, I like that part. These are the two facets to conversations that are devoted with, to God. And here, let me, some, here's what this is saying. Prayer isn't something we do. It's someone we walk with. And I don't know what your current perspective of prayer and conversations with God, but you and I have got to break out of this religious teaching that the only way you can engage God is through a book that has a prayer pre-written for you. I'm not saying those are bad, but that's not everything. And many of us have bought into this lie, the only way to talk with God is, is to talk to him, and it's this thing that we do to make ourselves feel better. No, it's someone. It's someone. It's someone. 
And I would tell you, according to God himself, he craves that you and I would devote to time with him. Just like the people in your life that love you crave time with you. It doesn't have to be hours. In fact, can we admit that sometimes hours with the loved ones are a little too long? My question for you is, have you been devoting yourself to conversations with God that are meaningful? Sometimes the meaningful ones are where you share with him that you are disappointed. So let me give you a super practical and then I'll be done. If, if you are mechanical or, or, and you're like, I love the structure. Give me some structure. No, no, no. No, if you love the structure, you need to look at something like this. You need to throw this into your conversations with God, a prayer walk. And we just happen to live in one of the most beautiful parts of the nation where you can just go to the hills and walk around, not with a podcast plan. Sometimes, actually, not with a lot of other people. You just walk, walk around the neighborhood in, in, in quiet, and you listen to God and let him just talk to you. Have you ever considered the idea that prayer can be where you and I don't talk? If you want to know a lot of my conversations with God, I've learned to not talk the entire time. If you're super mechanical and you're like, David, I pray before every single meal and then at bedtime and we never miss and we pray the exact same thing all the time, I suggest adding this. Not taking away what I just told you, but adding it. Now, if you're mysterious and you're like, David, I just love the random stuff, just whenever it happens, Okay, uh, I think you need to add some discipline daily time. Add a little bit of structure where it's a bit more predictable so it's not so random because random turns into rare. Random turns into a bit of a disconnect. Written lists. Do you write out your prayers? You ought to. Write them out. Like Literally, write them out. I've got a prayer book. I've told you many times I've got a prayer book and I write all kinds of stuff about you. It's nice. I write stuff about my kids, about my wife, about me, about my family. And I, will say, and, I, and I write it as though no one else is going to read it. I hope no one reads it. And I, I'm just like, God, I talk to God. I just talk to God by writing to him. And then I revisit those prayers about quarterly just to look at what those conversations have been like. Create a rhythm. If you're into the mysterious, you love the mysterious and the mystical and, and just randomness. and Create a rhythm. Pastor Jeremiah, he knew something that you and I need to know. That we need to talk with God. Because he's a person, we, we need to talk with God, not like he's a robot or a genie. Or that he only exists to, to just meet our needs and to, to like ease the waters. He's someone. If you've ever craved any kind of Walk with God. I challenge you. Start having conversations with him often. Finding time away, finding rhythms. I challenge you to get close to him by talking with him. Let me pray for us. God, I feel like you've been a part of this whole thing. God, you heard what I had to say. 
Lord, I pray that you'll take anything I messed up and you'll correct it. Lord, we just, we want to devote ourselves to conversations with you. God, I don't want us to, I don't want us to be people or a church that leans on our own power, our own understanding, our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own intelligence. God, all of us want to connect to you. Um, Lord, would you, would you prompt us to have conversations with you, to devote to you, to rely on you? Lord, help us to be a group of people who values you as someone. Thanks for listening to us. <laughs> I'm amazed that you've listened to us. And I believe that you do. And I believe that you care. So God, thank you for that. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.